HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, listeners. Welcome to The Line here on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Eli Sussman, co-owner and co-chef of Samisa Restaurant in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. If you've never caught the show before, I spend each episode with a single guest asking about their career, the trajectory of their career, uh, their childhood, how they reach the point uh, that we are, that we meet them at today. I'm a very young restaurateur. Samisa has not been open for very long, and I'm excited to have uh, someone here on the show today with with a ton of experience, so I'm going to ask him a ton of questions and really mine into the history of uh, his restaurateur career in New York City. Today on the show is Mark Meyer. He is a chef and restaurateur of several locations in New York. Uh, along with his partner, Vicki Freeman, they own Cook Shop, Vic's, 100 Acres, and Rosie's. He's worked on both coasts. He's been a strong proponent of the green market well before it was cool and fashionable to do so. Uh, Mark, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. So I want to start at when you opened up your first restaurant. We'll go back to your early cooking career when you uh, were getting started. But I want to know, what was the first restaurant that you opened in New York that was yours? Well, that was Five Points on Great Jones Street, uh, which is where Vix is right now. And so... What was that feeling like? You had been in the kitchen for many years as a chef. You'd been on the line. You'd worked on the West Coast. Uh, Take us through what that feeling is like when you are standing in Five Points the day that you're going to open up for service. I think it was uh, sheer terror. Uh, I didn't didn't feel, honestly, that uh, I was ready for it, looking back at it anyway. Um, I don't. I question constantly whether I had really prepared myself adequately. That I had thought through everything. That I had 
worked on the menu adequately? I mean, since you're asking asking this of me now, this is what's going through my mind. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was just what, s- what, something that I have still have doubts about. Doing. What type of spot was Five Points? Was it a was it a big restaurant? How, how, what did it look like? Well, it, it had been. Um, a trucking garage. It, it. I think it was originally a, a stable uh, from the 19th century. Uh, so it was. It was about uh, 90 seats. Uh, that uh, I. It, you know, at the time, it was. It was beautifully done. I thought uh, we really tried to work on uh, uh, being as thorough as we could with with components and uh, air conditioning and fixing the floors. And it it had been gutted and ripped out from sub-basement to ceiling. So uh, in taking that kind of approach, I thought it it was fairly well done. What spoke to you about the space? If anything, I know that when people are looking for their own space for their first project, did you scour the city? Did you stumble upon it? Did a friend put you on to the space? Like, How did Five Points become the first restaurant space for you? Well, we knew a contractor who had done a number of renovations, who had an office upstairs, and so there wasn't uh, there was some scouring, as you as you put it, but uh, basically we had settled on on this building. Um, the 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 tenant uh, who is our landlord. Uh, was in the trucking business. He supplied inks and paper for the printing business that that uh, existed in in Soho at the time. So he trucked around the city and brought um, paper goods and 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 inks ink for a big publishing and printing business that existed. And that was that was beginning to die. Um, and and so his trucking business uh, wasn't wasn't feasible any for uh, any longer. So you open up Five Points, and how long did Five Points exist in that location in its incarnation? Um, it it uh, from 1999 until 2014. And in 2014, you did something that uh, I imagine was difficult to do, which is you close Five Points. And you rebranded it. You you reopened it as a, a different restaurant with a different vibe, with a different interior, and with a different chef at the helm. Um, I would love for you to speak about what does that feel like to close your first restaurant? Obviously, you had had quite a bit of success there. It was open for 16 years. And by the time you closed it, you had other restaurants in your group. So... I don't think anyone would say that you're truly, really suffering from a restaurateur standpoint. But how does that feel to uh, to close the doors on Five Point for the very last time in 2014? Well, I'm, I'm a, I've been asked that before, and uh, honestly, it it was there was no mourning at all that that took place. Uh, I think it had it had run its course. I think uh, it, w- it was it was very apparent that it was from a business standpoint and uh, emotionally it was it was time to move on. But that's a that's a very interesting perspective coming from someone who 
you traditionally chefs as a is an ego-driven position. It is uh, my way is the best way. And if people don't like it, damn them, because I know what's right. But you made a decision that was really based more on on business and on sheer going in the direction of just uh, the change needed to happen. So you figured out a way with your partner to make it happen. I'm curious, um, is that something that you think – you, did you gain that perspective with 16 years of success? Yeah. Well, it wasn't always success. Mm-hmm. And I think th- that's the qualifying thing. Um, I, I think we were, we were seeing uh, business level drop, honestly. And I looked at it more of trying to make, you know, reincarnate. If, if 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 you will, that there was another life there, that there was a way of not just the rebranding it or anything of that sort, but there was there was a way to take five points and 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 recreate it and make make it another uh, another life out of it. And so, what did this new life of five points become? Well, it it it's it's Vix. Mm-hmm. Uh, we. We're very intent on um, making the place look completely different, you know, and uh, uh, brightening it up and making it more more contemporary and more appealing. And you know, it was it was it was what Five Points I felt always should have been or or could have been. What do you but, mean by but, that? Well, as you know, as I said, there. The, that that standing there at first and realizing at, with five points that it it worked we 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 had a great time with it but it wasn't quite we didn't I didn't really feel that it was it was fully what it could have been and and Vix is um, in that I I think it should have been more Mediterranean. I wanted more pastas. I wanted to do pizzas. The oven that I had at the time wasn't wasn't adequate. Um, I think I think I was distracted too with the other projects that that I had uh, gotten involved in. So there there wasn't that that real force and life and and this is what it needed. You perfectly led me to my next question, which is, how did you manage multiple locations? You were on, you were in the kitchen, and then you opened up a second, and then you opened up a third. I'm curious if you can walk us through sort of um, what was that transition point when you went from one restaurant to two? How did you spend your days either in the kitchen or more on the ownership business side? What what, uh, took more of your focus when you went from one location to two locations? Well, I think at that point, you definitely need to have more, more capable people working with you, working for you, working alongside of you. And, uh, I, Again, you're bringing up these things that I have to question about myself and about my approach because it, it's not as though it was codified and I had a plan. It was it was really uh, jumping in and hoping hoping things would would work. So, 
I don't know, am I answering your question? <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I'm curious, so, you know, uh, what was what was a normal day like? You know, did you start at one restaurant and jump back and forth between the two? Uh, did you hire a CDC at both locations so right. that you could act as the executive chef at both locations? How did the logistics work from a cooking standpoint? I think, as you described, it was starting at one place, trying to review menus, uh, making the effort to review menus, uh, looking at what was going on, going to the going to the next place. Um, you know, eventually uh, we we started using Dropbox and and reviewing menus just you know on online. Um, that that yeah, it was it was a back it was a back and forth. Was it fun or was it exhausting? You know, it wasn't exhausting. I I. I I think again in retrospect I I should have made the effort to try to have more fun at it but it was you know it was it was it was a critical um, there there it was trying to evaluate trying to be critical trying to encourage uh, you know trying to make sure the places were were representing what they what they needed to be. Uh, making all the efforts to source, making sure the ingredients were were what I wanted, uh, you know, discussing things with the chefs, with the staff, uh, and and just really trying to again make make sure that this idea and this approach to cooking was 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 being conveyed adequately and was being represented in in the, in the respective restaurants. It's definitely been written about and covered, and you've talked about your love of the market, and that is definitely an approach that uh, permeates throughout your restaurants. It, how do you distill that down into your staff, into your chefs, and into your front of house? How do you make it clear that those are the type of restaurants that you work in and that you run? Uh, what's the sort of What's the Mark Meyer ethos that surrounds the restaurants that you uh, that you run? Uh, well, where do I start? Um, um, well, I think right I think right now that's it's very clear at at this point uh, what how to do that or what it's about. But I think it's it's been a process of ongoing discussions and. Um, uh, clearly, what's on the plate, in many cases, speaks for 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 what we're about. But I think it's uh, talking about support for local for local local farms. I think it's discussions about what is commodity meat and 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 and, and what that is about, as opposed to you know bringing in whole animals, which is what we do. What the effects of of, uh, of of industrial farming are, uh, as opposed to supporting independent small farmers in 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 regions. Um, so, you know, you you try to introduce something things. Uh, you talk about the health benefits. You talk about we talk about uh, the rise in uterine cancer or breast cancer. We talk about 
uh, early early onset of menstruation in in young in young women uh, as and and as it as it relates to the high levels of antibiotics or you know it, it can be done very pointedly in that manner or it can be talked about in just you know discussing where where the lamb's coming from so it, there's been a range of 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 information and I try to I, I try not to be I I, I try not to be a, a, a demagogue about it but you know talk about it as 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 in, in terms of practical approach to business too now there's tons of ways to acquire information on the topics that you've just talked about you can do a lot of quick internet research, and it's something that's been in the last decade covered a lot more. What informed your thoughts on this early on in your career? Was there a specific restaurant or perhaps a chef that was uh, that imparted some of this wisdom to you that you carried on? Perhaps it was time that you spent overseas cooking somewhere? I'm just curious, sort of, where did you learn all this stuff that you're now imparting onward in your own restaurants? Um... Well, I think, I think initially it, it it was just seeing the beauty of 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 ingredients, the beauty of things in 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 the green market, or you know working in Italy and going going to a market and buying things for that evening and and going back the next day, and that was those things weren't there those beautiful long stemmed artichokes or or what have you weren't around so it was a different dish the next day um i think i think if there was any one individual though it may have been in discussions and over coffee with with peter hoffman too who i i still consider one of one of the uh, trailblazers in, in for those that don't know can you go into a little more depth about who peter hoffman is and well peter had uh, a restaurant called savoy and then it became back 40 and he had one of those cargo bikes years ago and would go and uh, you would see him uh, buying his eggs and and uh and apples and everything else that he needed, and riding back. And uh, I mean, it was it wasn't it wasn't just because it was there, but there was there was an ethic about why, and uh, I, I think that w- was very beneficial for me. These those discussions with with Peter. Are you still going to the market these days? Who's going to the market for your restaurants? Well, everybody does. Okay, I mean. When, when, when uh, businesses, when they, when their market is really uh, exploding, I, I get a, a zip van, mm-hmm. as I mentioned to you earlier, yeah. and uh, we pick up a couple times a week. Otherwise, it's you know it's car service or taxis or that sort of thing. But we load a we'll load a van, and uh, and so let's talk about how <clears throat> decisions are made with menus at the restaurant and a little bit deeper relative to the market. Obviously, we're in New York. It's really cold today. It's been pretty nasty for a couple weeks now. Uh, I don't think there's the no. most amazing produce and, and fruit and vegetables at the market right now. No, so no. how do the restaurants make those type of decisions in a New York climate, in a weather climate? Well, I, 
I always preface that with the fact that uh, here I am setting these standards and uh, it's very easy to become uh, a complete hypocrite, right? In, in trying to do that here in the Northeast in, in February. Um, there are, well, there is um, uh, a fantastic uh, co-op in eastern Pennsylvania that uh, sellers a lot of things and has some greenhouses uh, beyond uh, potatoes and root vegetables, carrots and turnips and uh, parsnips, rutabagas, kohlrabis, that sort of thing. It's and onions. Uh, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And, so and so when you're going into a menu de- menu development session with right. your with your chefs, um, how often are you having direct input into menus these days? I know that uh, we can talk about some of the specific chefs at your restaurants, but I am just really curious um, because as a restaurateur, you really you lived a full, very full life and career as a chef, um, and I want to know sort of how how hands on are you still with uh, the menu creation of your restaurants? Well, with with Vix and Hundred Acres, the 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 individual chefs write write those menus. Mm-hmm. They're they're extremely capable, smart, talented individuals. I I it's so important to respect that and and show the respect for their approach to cooking. The way I would get involved is. Um, if, if I see redundancy in ingredients or that I ask, well, where is this coming from or what's your, what's your decision-making on using something? Um, you know, menu balance, wording, composition, there'll be a discussion. Otherwise, it's, it, it has to be their menus. I, I, otherwise, there wouldn't be a point in having them in the kitchen. Um, you spend a lot of time still at Cookshop, correct? I spend a lot of time at Cookshop, yes. And uh, how long has Cookshop been open? Um, where are we now? Twelve, uh, going on twelve years, I guess. Eleven, eleven and a half years. How does that feel? Do you feel like there's a safety in Cookshop, or are you still every day concerned about what it feels like to be a eleven, twelve-year-old restaurant in New York? I think if I uh, just what could sit back and uh, and uh, stand on the street and look at that and 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 smile, I would. It, it would never work. <laughs> I, I, you know, you live in not really in constant terror, but you're. I think you have to keep looking and evaluating and questioning. And that's that's part of every day's approach. What what came back? What were the problems? You're looking at at staffing, at at costs, at the the way things are appealing to the customer. Um, yeah, I think it's it's not as though you live in in terror necessarily, but you know you, you just it's so important to be constantly evaluating things and and being able to structure your team and the people that are involved in day to day the day to day work you know 
responding to their input and constantly evaluating. As someone who's been in the New York restaurant business for a very long time, there's quite a few changes afoot in the in the hospitality business. There's uh, a large shift moving towards quick service right. and uh, being able to provide people with a eleven dollar lunch option. You know, right. things of of that nature that are based more possibly on speed than quality. Although quality can be high. Um, all your restaurants are full service. They all are fully staffed with liquor and many mm-hmm. seats. Cook shop is gigantic. I know that. And your other restaurants are 80, 90 seats about. Correct. Um, can you tell me what your thoughts are on being uh, a full service restaurant group uh, as you see there being sort of a paradigm shift in some of the modeling? Is that something that you are looking to get involved in? Do you want to stay out of it? What are your thoughts on it? Um, where do I start? I think, you know, I don't bemoan the changes. Uh, I, I'm, it's not. It's not as though I'm saying, you know, uh, look at the times. This is terrible. This. Well, look at what's going on. Uh, that would be ridiculous. I think it's a fact, and I think you have to evaluate things from that from that perspective. Uh, I I think for. All the reasons, uh, or the many reasons, there, there, the, these these changes have to be embraced somehow or another. Otherwise, you can't. I think the full service restaurant, as you say, probably is going the way of the dinosaurs in some way or another. I mean, there will always be a place for it. I don't know what what the price points are going to have to be to make it viable. But yes. Uh, uh, we we talk about it all the time as a, as a, as a group, and uh, and think about what we could do and how we could do something that evokes the type of approach that we're taking as as cooks and chefs and restaurateurs, but being able to to take the curve in the road in the way that things are changing. Uh, is that? We're here on the line with Mark Meyer. He's talking about several of his restaurants, uh, Vic's, Cook Shop, Rosie's. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about his early cooking career in New York City and on the West Coast. Stick with us here, Heritage Radio, The Line. program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters who acknowledge the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change 
by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chef's Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Welcome back to The Line. I'm here with chef and restaurateur Mark Meyer. He is the co-owner of Vic's Cook Shop, Rosie's in New York City and 100 Acres. Um, Mark, I wanted to talk about your early life. There seems to be sort of two trajectories for people that become chefs. One is, I was a kid. I was in the kitchen always. I always knew. And then others seem to have gone to school for something else and then maybe fallen backwards into it. Do you fall into one of these sort of archetypal storylines at all? Definitely it was never anything that I considered as a as a child or, or growing up at all. The idea of uh, being being a chef did, or being involved in restaurants. Did you have something did you go to college for something else? Did you go to school and think you were gonna be a um, architect or <laughs> something like what, I, what I, did you pursue and yeah i went to i went to uc berkeley for architecture oh wow and uh and uh then uh found my found myself in a in, in alaska on a crab fishing boat and at, at, at one point let's and, not gloss over this and make <laughs> that just a quick transition there so so you're at uc berkeley and you end up in alaska yeah. what brought you to Alaska? Uh, I think just being immature and being a little bit crazy and angry and not knowing what to do or how to live my life. And uh, Were you still in school or did you drop out of school? I dropped out. And so you end up on a boat. How long are you in Alaska for? I was there for about eight months. That's a dangerous job, right? Um, pretty intense being on a boat for long periods of time. Right, it was. And when and when the this this frozen rain and sleet started uh, uh, falling uh, parallel to to the ocean, I thought that was uh, that was time to that was time to leave. Uh, yeah, and that was it was it was an interesting place, uh, Dutch Harbor and on Alaska. Isolated. Isolated. Yeah, and. Lots of alcoholics, and it just didn't didn't really it didn't really suit me at a, at a point. So after you spend eight months there, what's the next sort of adventure that you decided to tackle? Um, I tried uh, I tried going back to school, mm-hmm. and and that did that didn't work, and uh, uh, got involved in just driving trucks and uh, trying to survive. And, uh, How does driving trucks lead you to working at the Odeon? <laughs> there, there's, there's no relationship. These are tormented segments of, uh, you know, of, 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 a, of an individual so uh, you, trying, to, trying to find something. So your early adult life is sort of siloed in these, yeah. I, in these moments where you're doing these very different activities right i would say that i'm just i want to try to figure out how do you end do you end up in a kitchen just for economic reasons was it a job it was a job i i started working at coffee shops uh just doing just doing prep work um i worked at um 
I worked at a place called uh, what, uh, Five Ninth. Uh, no, One Fifth, sorry, at One Fifth, which is where uh, Batali has his pizza place down on uh, 8th Street and 5th Avenue. And, uh, and I, I, I met some of the people who became, well, Keith McNally was, ran the dining room at that time. And uh, that led to, to me going to the Odeon. Keith was the maitre d'. So at what point did you think that you actually enjoyed cooking and it might be something that you may stay involved in from more than just a making money standpoint? I think, I think at one-fifth it sort of clicked. And, and, and when you went over to the Odeon, uh, what were you doing there? Were you li- a line cook? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was a line cook uh, being screamed at for... 10, 12 hours a day by Patrick Clark and, you know, having things thrown at me and, uh, you know, but, uh, it, it, there was still, it was, it was, it was really difficult. It was still at that period of time where you were, you were berated and, uh, but you, you, you know, there was, you saw what, what you were able to put on a plate because of somebody that was extremely talented and had incredible repertoire and some and had a range uh who you know just knew how to make great food when you were there and you were working on the line and you were sort of suffering through those 10 and 12 hour long days was there a moment where you said i'm going to open up my own restaurant one day no not at all how many years later do you think that you finally came? I know that you said when you opened up Five Points, you didn't quite feel ready. Right. Um, was there a, ever a point when you were standing in a kitchen that you thought, I think I may be ready to do it? Or you, was it always doubt, 100% doubt? <laughs> I think it was a lot of doubt. I think it was always about, well, what, what, what was the next step? What do I need to know? How much more do I need to know? Do, do I understand things uh, well, technically? Uh, do I have a range of skills? How do my abilities uh, compare w- with uh, other people? Where, you know... There's a. Have I developed that lexicon adequately, and uh, from so I felt really strongly that it was important to. I wanted to go to Italy, so that that was my next step after after Odia. And so, where did you go in Italy? I went to Rome. And did you work for an extended period of time at one restaurant in Rome? What yeah, was that yes. experience like? It was. It was crazy and and exhilarating and it was it was a roller coaster ride comparatively uh in in many different ways i i went with uh, the idea of being able to work with with someone through an arrangement and that fell through and i uh just found a pension and literally at that time started answering want ads and finally found a a little place that was uh, run by uh, a a wonderfully 
insane kind of man who um, was a Francophile. He was originally from Naples um, uh, and uh, had brass underliners and crocheted linen Plate liners and had the waiter with the waiter because it was so small. The two waiters would come in and clean silverware and and wash and shine crystal, but yet it was still very very Italian. You know, it it, it had we had to have pasta. We made uh, we made sausage a couple times a week. We made galantine once once a week. We would go to the market um, and. Uh, he would come in in white leather Johnny Versace suits and do crepes tableside, and uh, it was it was just you know I I only I had a room that only had a toilet, so I had to wash at the train station if I wanted a shower. Um, but it was it was it was wonderful. It was liberating, you know. It was taking the bus every day or walking to work or. Uh, going and having a little lunch before I went in or working split shifts it was it was incredible incredible experience but yes am i right to say that you enjoy pushing yourself in extreme situations where you're sometimes in in solitude <laughs> you that you enjoy spending time by yourself just working Sort of with it, with an intense focus, is that still never, a style of yours? No, I don't. That's too romantic. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't view. I'm just you know. I, I kind of plod along and get these little moments of pleasure, I guess, out, out of it. Uh, yeah, but uh, after your uh, Italian uh, externship, you returned to New York, right? And where did you work next? Where did I work? I worked for I worked at a place called Green Street with a chef named Larry Vito, who had been uh, one of the sous chefs for Patrick Clark at, at Odeon. And how did you make your way to the West Coast again? You spent some time in the West Coast cooking, right? Uh, well, from there, well, from Green Street. Boy, some things are not entirely clear. I, I met uh, Larry Forgione, mm-hmm. and uh, and worked and worked for him, also for for a while. And at that time, it was literally it was Larry Larry on the East Coast and Alice Waters on the West Coast. As far as I should have I should have brought in Larry when I mentioned Peter Hoffman, right? Because at um, at that time, we had people um, coming to the back door, literally with mushrooms and berries and and fish, uh, selling things. Now, activities that are so commonplace in the kitchen. Yeah, I know. Of course, I know who brings me my carrots. But right. Larry was really at the forefront of Absolutely. having that one-on-one relationship with the actual purveyor, with the farmer, Absolutely. with your clam guy. Right. Clearly. Um, Things coming from brown trading, uh, right? Uh, we, you know, chickens that were um, unevisceated, having to clean chickens that way, have, getting a trout butterflied, 
it was unheard of. Yeah, you, you know. Uh, so animals came and they still looked like the animals yes, that they absolutely had originally been. Absolutely. I want to jump back now to sure. present day and ask about how you and um, if Vicky is involved in this process as well uh, about your hiring of leaders in the kitchen. Uh, I've had two guests on the show uh, that are the chefs of Vicks and 100 Acres and I'm curious about how you go about picking the people front of house as well to be the leaders of your restaurant. Obviously you and Vicky cannot be everywhere at the same time and you need to have people that not only can you trust but that are willing to go through the process that you've outlined to make your restaurant stay what they are. Um, how do you how do you achieve those goals? Well, one thing I wanted to mention is that uh, there's another there's a third partner who never mm-hmm. uh, is 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 talked about. His name is Chris Paraskovides, mm-hmm. and uh, Chris worked for Steve Hansen for was a director of operations for Steve, Steve Hansen for 13 years, and he is handles all the things that Vicky and I don't don't get involved in, mm-hmm. and he has a uh, an, an, an incredible feel for the restaurant business and understands it deeply. He's more involved in insurance issues and real estate and all the the, the technical stuff that you know we would be lost in uh, if we if we had to do. Um, so getting getting to your so he's he's also very instru- instrumental in in hiring and. And, and how we're structuring things and how to how uh, the selection of, of key people. Um, and so for you and Vicky, is there something that you specifically, is there something that you look for? Do you just know it when you see it? How, 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 do, you, how do you hire for four separate restaurants? Um, yeah, I think if, if to have that, that sense of uh, knowing which people are, are are best, I don't necessarily have. You, I think, Chris and Vicky probably have a better a better idea of that. Um, I think it, it's peop- it's trying to find people who understand hospitality, who understand how to be gracious, who understand the the importance of making people feel welcomed, and and. Uh, and and uh, the value of and the importance of making sure anybody who walks in there, everybody who walks into those restaurants, wants to come again. And then it's finding people who can make decisions, who are adults, who have a mature approach to engaging people and relating to people, and who. Uh, can work with the, the the back of the house and understand uh, the 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 range of individuals who work in restaurants from a from a dish, dishwasher to a very sophisticated world traveled guest. Uh, so these are things that you you don't you can't teach in 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 culinary school or or in management school or anything else it just takes someone who wants to do this and finding them i i think in many cases now more than ever it's a needle in a haystack 
Did I read that you have kids that are in the business that they work at your restaurants? Yes. Yes. Uh, when they decided that they wanted to do that, proud moment, moment of dread. Uh, I, yeah, it was it, it, less a, a proud moment and more, <laughs> more a moment of dread because it it seemed to just happen uh, and. Uh, what I tell people is that if they couldn't do the job, they wouldn't be working for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one one thing. Um, do they cook? What do they, what are they one, doing? One one cooks and and one is a, a assistant manager, and uh, they 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 both do I think a, a great job, uh, and they're they're learning, they're learning. Is there a a part of you that? Was hoping that they wouldn't get involved in the in the business and just stay as far away as yes. possible. Yes, truthfully, yes. I'm I'm proud of it. I I'm I'm proud to see that they're capable. But uh, um, you know, uh, we'll we'll see we'll see where it goes. They the the one who works in the front of a house is. Uh, I don't know where they where he got this this skill. Uh, because he's engaging, he's warm, he's a smart young man. Uh, he enjoys himself. He enjoys being around people. Um, you know, he he, under, he he knows how to talk to people. He, and uh, we'll we'll see where it goes. I'll get you out of here on this last question. Your entire family is in the business right. together. Right. Uh, you spend all of your life in your restaurants and you've got quite a few now i'm curious is retirement ever a thing that you've considered absolutely not 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 by a stretch there's other projects i want to do there's a, there as you mentioned this the the where uh the restaurant business is going because of of all the cons- I don't look at it as constraints. I look at it as a, a different way to go, and I want to be a part of it. I definitely want to be a part of the, the changing nature of the business, and yet still use the the, the ESO, ethos of responsibility and and how to source, how to how to purchase, how to deal with people, how to hire people as part of it. But I, I want I want to keep going. Mark, we're looking forward to your next project. Thank you for joining me here. Thank you. It was great. Everybody, please join us next week, Tuesdays, eleven AM, Heritage Radio. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.